you mentioned this about what, what, what kind of world are we leaving behind here for the kids? Um, it, it's so I'm of an age where I remember what the world looked like when I was a boy. Cause I was out, I was, I was called nature boy. I was always outside and I delighted in just catching things. Um, turtles, snakes, frogs, fish, uh, insects, whatever. Um, so I was out there and I didn't realize uh, to me, I just took it for granted. Like this is the world I live in. Right. And I distinctly remember when I, we, what, uh, my family's from has a summer place upstate New York on a finger Lake. And I remember as a boy literally being wonderfully frightened. I love this kind of frightening when you would turn on the porch light. And if you came back later, the screen door would be covered with this like terrifying array of things, right? Giant walking sticks, huge staghorn beetles, big sphinx and luna moths. It was just, you know, things banging in that you couldn't quite resolve. And uh, last five years, nothing. Like you can leave the window open all night with a light on inside. And if you get one lonely moth, you know, you're, you're lucky now. Um, so that level of, of horrifying change to me tells me that that we don't just need to sort of like point out that Anthony Fauci is a bad guy, that, that what we need is, is if we're going to, if evolution, you know, if consciousness can come in and help redirect itself a little bit, we've got some growing up to do as a species. Like, like COVID can be a wake up call. And I think it has been for many people, but I think it has to wake us up to something even bigger than a failure of the CDC to be an effective institution. Um, it has to wake us up to something bigger than, geez, can we get a couple of better candidates for president next time? It's 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 much bigger than that. And so that's I don't know how to get at that yet at this point in time. But but that's really where I'm steering my efforts is using covid as a means of reaching people who are ready to wake up and and use our brains towards abundance and regeneration rather than just extraction and depletion. Um, and and that's as close as I've gotten to it. And I'm not remotely smart enough to know how to begin doing anything other than having the conversation and hoping people are attracted to that. And, and that's what I see this year is about is we have to have that conversation because in my lifetime, I've seen this, the oceans have become almost sterile and I'm using that word very carefully compared to what they were when yeah, I was I've born. seen exactly the same thing. And this is, you know, you know, it's funny, the folks on the center, right, who we end up interacting with now, um, are correct about a good many things. And this is one of the things I think they're way wrong about. And I think we have to have that conversation with our natural partners on both left and right so that they, so that we can upgrade our collective model. And let me just be candid about your observation about the insects. I've made exactly the same observation and I, I was a very uh, creature oriented kid too. And so I played a lot in nature as much as possible. And I caught creatures just like you. And I remember a world in which a uh, drive, a summer drive down the highway resulted in a, just an awful, very difficult to clean up mess on the windshield, right? The number of insects that died on the windshield of your car was a real problem, right? They were sticky and there were products that were sold, you know, you could read in a magazine products to get the goo off your windows because it wasn't an easy job. But the point is the world has changed. The, the oceans are so much less diverse than they once were, or maybe diverse is the wrong word, but there's so much less in them, right? And the number of insects is way down and there are places you can go where you used to hike and see, you know, a diversity of birds, you couldn't avoid seeing it. And now you see nothing. And here's the part I got wrong. 
I would have said as a, as a 20 year old, that if the collapse of the insect population was as severe as you and I both know it is, that that would have had catastrophic effects on agriculture, for example. And I don't think it has. I think agriculture has pivoted and it, be, it functions differently than it once did. It is a much more robust process because it's high tech. It's robust to this particular insult. It's feeble with respect to many other things. So for example, the super crops, right? Super corn isn't super at all, right? It's incredibly weak. The point is it grows incredibly mm -hmm. big if you dump fertilizer on it, but it's completely incapable of growing, you know, with any sort of natural competition in the absence of those inputs. So anyway, we're living in some system that didn't behave according to the fears that I had, but nonetheless, the collapse of the insect population is every bit as severe as we worried it would be, and maybe more severe. So I don't know, we have to have the conversation and we have to have the conversation about what it implies, right? And in some sense, the good news about COVID-19 is that it showed how vulnerable we are, and not just at the level of our biology, it showed how vulnerable we are to propaganda and to being induced to viciousness toward each other and to demonizing those who are trying to tell us things we need to know, right? So this was a trial run. And if we learned the lesson of it, we could come out of it much stronger. But then again, that's the reason that I'm afraid the lesson is going to be buried. Mm. So I, I'm keen on this. Like, um, how how we get out of this and it's a multi-step process so you you've you've bumped into one of the aspects of this for me which is the mass psychosis um story mass formation more technically uh i like the word psychosis because well it's sort of more evocative but but the idea that that there were a group of people who fell prey rather easily to a a set of narratives that were not just provably false, but demonstrably, <laughs> ridiculously, provably, provably false. But I understand the, the process that we got here. And, and it's disappointing to me because um, these events that it, it, we, oh, we're spending so much time in this mass formation event, and we're not using that energy for other things that I think really need and deserve our, our like full, 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 full attention. Um, and there's so many. I, I love how John Michael Greer put it a long time ago. He said, you know, problems have solutions. That's fine. We can all talk about problems, but predicaments have outcomes. You got to manage those, right? So, um, so I see us facing a number of predicaments and we have to decide as adults how we want to begin managing those. Um, energy is a huge one. When you look at where we are in fossil fuel consumption, still plenty there. It's not forever. When you really understand that what has to happen at scale time cost, sociologically and, and culturally in order to get there, even if we have 50 years, you realize the best time to have started this would have been back when Jimmy Carter put the cardigan on and the solar panels on the roof, right? That would have been a great time. And we haven't. And we've sort of dilly-dallied along. So so I'm, I'm worried that what I'm seeing now is that they have a really powerful set of tools to distract people and keep us focused on things that are of no importance. And I hope I don't piss off too many people saying that, but we have been focusing, we've been navel gazing in this country and on things that are fundamentally not even on the problem scale, let alone the predicament scale in this. Right. So, 
I know a lot of people take it super important that, you know, are there 50 genders or 60? I mean, it's just like in the scheme of things, once you understand what we're up against with, with the species issues and with uh, energy, you might say, okay, we'll put that on the list, but it's not, it's not on my, it's not at the top of my priority list. Yeah, I agree. I think people have no idea. You, You have to have traveled somewhere that's really dysfunctional to understand how much trepidation you should have about disrupting a system that works, even if it has terrible flaws that you dislike, right? There should be trepidation about upending a civilization that functions. And look, uh, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool liberal. I grew up in a liberal household. I'm as troubled by the failure of our system uh, to be fair and decent as anyone. But the solution is to improve it. The solution is not to wreck it because we invite absolute catastrophe by wrecking it and by concentrating on things that are, shouldn't be at the top of the priority list. That is exactly what we will do. Um, so I, uh, I wholeheartedly mm-hmm. agree that that's a tremendous hazard. I will point out for my listeners that um, mass formation psychosis suddenly became a feature of people's thinking at the point that Robert Malone talked about it with Joe Rogan. You had had Matthias Desmond on your program um, because you saw how important this was. That was before Robert Malone went on on Rogan and talked about it. And it had been a concept that was being circulated amongst people who were thinking clearly about this um, before that. So you saw that this bubbled into the conversation of people who were making sense. You recognized how important it was. You amplified it to people who follow you. And then, I don't know, a month later, it became something that dawned on people was important. And what I would point out is that this is a general pattern. There is a conversation of people who stared down the stigmas that were thrown at us. It's a much better, smarter conversation than what the public is being exposed to, right? It's a conversation that sees things coming, right? If you were paying attention to... Gert Vandenbush, then you know that variance was an issue. You were thinking already about the insanity of an absurdly narrowly targeted vaccine that couldn't help but drive uh, the evolution of this virus to some new place. You knew that it was nonsense that this was going to be a pandemic of the unvaccinated, that the variants were going to be the result of the large population of unvaccinated people. You knew all that way ahead of time. And if you're standing where they expect you to stand, you hear about these things late, you hear about them right along with the phony debunk bullshit, and you don't know what to think. And so part of the question for people who are trying to figure out how they can protect themselves from this, whether or not civilization learns the lesson, how they can get smarter so that they don't end up victims of this again, part of the question is, how are you going to figure out what conversation to tune into so that you'll see all of this stuff coming? And the the unpleasant answer to that is the stigmas, the vilification, that was used to prevent people from figuring out who to listen to. The point is, when those of us who did stand up were vilified publicly, that was to persuade other people not to come near us. It's too expensive. You don't want to do it. And, you know, I can't say it isn't expensive, but I can say if you wanted to know what was coming, that was the way to do it, was to ignore those stigmas and listen to people who were trying to warn you.
that it's uh, that's where all the all the actual information was at the edges. It wasn't coming from the center. It was all at the edges. It's kind of like Jordan Hall talks about, like you know that that the 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 that's the great part of the internet. So so I found all the value I had was from listening to people like Robert Malone and Peter McCullough and and yourself and and um, Pierre Corey and all the FLCC doctors, Paul Merrick, and on and on and on. These were people who who they didn't always get it right, but I could tell that they were intensively caring about trying to get it right. Um, and so it was amazing that way. But I'm wondering, um, like, what was the cost to you? Because uh, you you in many ways took way more slings and arrows than I did. Um, you know, you you paid well, some prices. I don't know whether I should talk about up. this publicly or not, but I'm going to do it. Um, this has been a process of the creation of anti-fragility and the stuff that was pointed at Heather and me was, it was incredibly difficult. I mean, the, just the simple volume of it at its worst was, there was no way to grapple with it, right? You just knew that there were vile slanders being delivered that you'd never even know were said because you just couldn't even look at it all, even if that was your instinct. So um, it was very unpleasant. It was also not our first rodeo. Mm. And so there's a way in which, yeah, this one was the worst one I've ever seen by far. But there was also an awareness that there's a process to it and that one gets through that. And the point is live to fight another day and this process actually makes you stronger in the end. So there were moments at which I doubted that. And I mean, I still do. I still wonder if the, um, the vindication of all of the points that have been correct is going to be buried specifically for the purpose of preventing uh, me and, and others like you from speaking up again in the face of the next one, right? So I know that the thing is still very interested in capitalizing uh, on the progress that it made psychologically. I also know from talking to people that people have a very wrong impression of where we currently are. In other words, they directed at this incredible onslaught at us. And it was, uh, I, I don't even have the words for what it was like. It was just like, you know, it was a fire hose of awful. But in the end, we are now in the position of watching this large, this ever-growing population of people recognize who was trying to warn them and who was actively steering them into danger. And that is incredibly gratifying. So um, it was bad, but every time they do this and they leave us standing, we get stronger. That's the thing. So... So you had some dark days, but you, but you, you'd been there before. So you kind of knew what was coming or did you ever lose hope like that? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I still, I still worry about that. Um, but again, a, I think that we are at a point where the scale of the disasters is no, is now so great that in effect they have tied our hands, right? We might as well fight, right? Because the solution of not fighting, that's going to be a short ride. So we have to fight. That would have been my inclination, and I know your inclination also. And yeah, they created some dark days, but in the end, I'm not at all convinced they didn't 
their plan didn't backfire and that they didn't, you know, let's put it this way. I told people who were close to me back when the lab leak story broke, right? And of course, nobody has formally acknowledged that this is what happened, but we all know that the evidence has gotten stronger and stronger. I told them, look, that was a surprise mm -hmm. win. I didn't think we were going to win that one. I knew we had to fight it, but I didn't think we were going to win. Having won it, there are now two others, right? There's the question of early treatment, and there's the question of vaccine safety and efficacy. If the public wakes up on all three of those fronts, suddenly we now know something. We know that the following systems have completely failed to protect us and in fact have steered us into greater danger. The academy, the press, big tech, the public health apparatus and all of the governmental structures it is plugged into, that is an amazing across-the-board failure. And no one who is paying attention could possibly look at a failure of all of those things and come away with the impression that anything small could possibly put us back on track. So the reason that we put ourselves in danger in this case was that there's a process I describe, which is that certain stories diagnose the system, right? The Evergreen story diagnosed the press, right? Part of the press couldn't report it because it went in the wrong direction for their audience. And another part of the press could report it. And so it revealed this process of like, everybody can report the stories about the other side and they don't report the stories about their own side. So the New York Times completely fucked it up. Well, they half fucked it up. There were people on the editorial page, but never mind. The, po the point is, and across the board failure, as we have seen with COVID, is a dire emergency having nothing to do with COVID, pandemics, drugs, vaccines, anything. It is a dire, dire mm -hmm. failure of the systems on which we are depending. And my hope is that this failure, having been revealed at great cost to many of us, now allows us to have the conversation we need to have, which is the same one that you raised about the insects and their collapse, right? We are screwing up the things on which we depend, and that is a suicidal thing to do. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Uh, I'm hopeful. And, it, you know, before we close this out, we should talk about this march that is upcoming tomorrow, which you and I both have a relationship with, but neither of us will be at. Um, but I think we are at that moment where the system has revealed itself. And I don't know that in our lifetimes, we will get a better opportunity to have the conversation we need to have about civilizational collapse, which is looming because these systems have stopped doing what they're supposed to do. That's it right there. And, and, and so that's my, actually my greatest fear is I'm going to wake up one day and Biden and Macron and all the other leaders and are going to just go, oh, yeah, hey, this is just like the seasonal flu. Let's endemic. We're done. Let's move on. Um, because it, why is that a fear? Because it means that that we won't we won't have that accounting of it that we need, that they'll just try and like slide past those failures. I think those failures need to be brought forward, not 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 to rub their noses in these particular failures, but because of what you just said, that that they're indicative of a larger systemic sort of a, an issue that's been going on. And I don't know really how big or how deep it is. It, is it just 
the Peter principle played out over too many generations, you know, where the inept rise well past their abilities or, or is this just, you know, Strauss and Halforth turning, guess what, late stage empire, things get overcomplicated, Joseph Tainter style. And, you know, this is just how it is, you know, you got to go through the decay function, um, at the end of these things. But my view, Brett, is that we don't have, so there were plenty of times for empires to sort of wax and wane in times past. This time is different. And I know those are dangerous words to say. And why is it different? It's because we're just in the resource story. We are just not, we don't have a lot of fat left on this particular animal um, to live off of and make mistakes. So I, I just feel like the mistakes we make today are, are more profound than the ones people made in times past because we were, we were younger then, right? It's like, you know, you drive to the hole too hard in basketball as an 18-year-old and, you know, break something, you recover. You know, you slip on the ice as an 80-year-old and it's just a different story, right? So at any rate, that that's, that's my concern is I want to make sure we're having those proper conversations because I actually think this is one of the most pivotal moments in human history that it's extraordinary time to be alive. And the way we begin to address this is we have to have really open, honest conversations where literally, you know, no ox is too sacred to gore, everything on the table. We need all hands on deck on this thing. I, I, I believe in actual diversity, like real diversity, but that diversity is in here, right? Um, and so that's what I'm really kind of hopeful for is that is that, you know, we get to join forces. We find these other people. To me, that's what this next part is about is gathering us. Um, and maybe the march is a, a great segue into that. People are going to gather around a set of purposes, um, nominally, you know, defeat the mandates, but, but it has to be bigger than that. I see the march needs to be the start of something, not the, not the cherry on top of. Yeah. Something. Uh, let's get to the march in a second it. and let's just sort of collect our gains on what you and I have both just said. I think painting with a broad brush, what we've said is the level of dysfunction in the system is will be fatal for humanity in short order. COVID reveals those failures, and it reveals them in a case that is obviously survivable. But the point is, it, it says none of the things, somebody has unhooked all of the things that are supposed to allow you to steer the ship back on course and away from the iceberg, right? And that doesn't mean that there's an iceberg, but there will be sooner or later. So that is an emergency of the highest order. It's not a COVID emergency. COVID reveals the emergency, right? The second thing to say is that COVID, because of the across-the-board failure of everything, reveals the problem. And there's no reason to think we are going to get a better chance in our lifetimes to actually discuss it, right? The curtain is never going to be pulled this far back again, right? Or if it is, it may be too late right? The next emergency may not be such a survivable one. So we have to talk, we have to figure out what's gone wrong, and we have to fix it because our job is to leave the planet intact for future generations. They have to have a decent planet to live on, and this is going to screw it up permanently, mm -hmm. right? So we have to talk about it, and we're never going to get a better, better shot. And that tells us where we are and what has to happen next, right? And yes, the gathering of people who get some fraction of that story or see it from some perspective that they can translate it between what we've just said and what they're saying, those are the people that, that need to be talked to and, and now is certainly the time. Now, let's talk about the march, right? You and I were both involved in uh, planning the march and discussing what its focus should be. Mm -hmm. um, I know that I have 
hopes for what will happen. I have concerns about what will happen. And my concerns motivated me to decide not to go to the march because my thought was the march contains so many of the voices who have been important in revealing the COVID-19 catastrophe that it is an obvious vulnerability and that, you know, while I don't really expect um, somebody to commit violence against speakers, I do worry that an all-out effort will be made to portray the march as something other than it is. And I felt it was important to stay away so that if that happens, there is somebody who was involved in the planning who can say, you know what, I was there. I know what the intended message was. I know what the view was on uh, violence and, frankly, ideology of all kinds. And let me tell you what that looked like on the inside. So basically, I was hoping to function as a dead man switch. Um, now, I know that uh, you were thinking about the same thing, and then I know that you ended up with COVID, which effectively made meant that there wasn't even a decision that needed to be made in your case. Um, but what do you see? Mm-hmm. Well, what I saw was... Um, Ivermectin go from 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 a toxicology standpoint. It's literally the safest compound I've ever looked at like it's literally that safe It's it's curve between effective dose and lethal dose is so wide You know, you'd have to be a real moron to, to somehow, you know, jump over that in fact when we saw that there was this Incredible uh, study by Jacques Decote. You looked at 500 different things at studies and, and just <laughs> Zero deaths had ever been recorded that they could directly ascribe to it. So it's that safe and then we watched the Farmaganda campaign come out where I woke up one day and all of a sudden it was horse dewormer everywhere because somebody had decided that's what needed to happen. Now, obviously, that wasn't organic, right? It had a lot of useful, willing idiots who were, who were ready to parrot that because it was a, a team sport or something. But but somebody, we know some people sat in a room, said, look, we can't get this on safety. What do we do with this? And they had enough power to blanket the airwaves, have major articles all appear in all the major newspapers, have it show up on all the major, you know, CNN, MSNBC, have it even have the FDA itself tweet out a little, y'all, stop taking horse dewormer, right? So that's power. And so we know that there's like lots and lots of money interested in making sure that this march is not successful or is seen a certain way. And we've seen their early sort of entrees. There was a an article, which I'm air quoting because it's it was really an opinion piece in the Washington Post that said anti-vaxxers gathering to, to revel you know, something, in something, their something, right? in the Is games of their once fringe movement or some garbage like that. <laughs> something like that. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's an anti-vax Mardi Gras. It's going to be amazing. We're throwing beads, you know, but it's just seeing so that. I, I think that old trope of calling everybody you disagree with either Hitler or an anti-vaxxer is wearing thin. That's that's not like a really compelling argument. I don't. It, I don't it's think an the team was test. involved in that headline. If you're still but, buying it, but you can see, you failed. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so, but but the point is that there are. I guarantee you, there are people who are very smart, sitting in a room thinking, "How do we make this? How do we how do we shape this? How do we how do we use this to our advantage? How do we?" make it not be what it needs to be, or how do we recast this? And so we know there's going to be an effort to January 6th, it, which is a, which is a shorthand for saying cast it in a whole new light other than it actually occurred under so that we can uh, minimize it or worse, 
right? So, so I do, I have my concerns. It's not a concern. I'm positive that there are people thinking how to, um, harm that particular thing because it, it upsets their plans. It upsets their, their income statements. It upsets their political ambitions, whatever the story is. Um, so I know, I know there's going to be a, yes, there are going to be people who are going to be trying to disrupt it. Yep. There's too much at stake. There's profits at stake. There's the potential for, uh, criminal trials. If, if you, if you, if you hold what I hold to be true about the suppression of early treatments, I see that as a, um, as, as beyond civil, uh, that's a criminal right. act. So there's that's the me. possibility of trials. There's the possibility of congressional hearings with musical interludes from Hamilton. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, that sounds like a joke, but we've seen this. We know, we know how the people in power are playing a narrative game and that they are basically, uh, I'm tempted to say shameless monsters, but I will stop it. Obviously shameless. Right, their willingness to portray uh, something <laughs> of uh, as something else is yeah. without limit, and you know the the thing that I found yeah. myself, you know, the, the people I met organizing the thing, I think are very good, patriotic, decent people, right? And I think this was, you know, they were called to do something that was not in their skill set because they were just simply moved by human suffering and the need to to do something. And this seemed like the obvious thing to do. It was, however, a little bit hard to convey, look, the game theory here is not favorable. We've got, you know, and I keep saying hundreds of billions of dollars at stake in um, COVID and the public health response. And people who have been slightly deeper into the finances keep telling me, no, it's a trillion at least, right? But even if it's hundreds of billions of dollars at stake, that means that it makes sense to spend many millions. It would make sense to spend billions to derail an effort that is potentially going to interrupt their ability to sell their garbage narrative and impose their mandates. So you can be certain that there is, it's not a small effort that is being pointed at figuring out how to derail uh, the march and what it stands for. So I, I do have concerns and my sense is maybe the collapse of the narrative and our absence from that stage and therefore our ability to speak to what actually took place inside of the planning, maybe that is sufficient to drive them off so that the only thing they do is say nasty things that nobody's really paying attention to anymore in all of the outlets that they've captured, right? That's inevitable. And as you point out, has already begun. Um, if, if that is the limit of what they do, I think that's a tremendous success. So let's, let's hope that that's what unfolds tomorrow. Well, and, and yes, it's, since this is going out before the march, I can tell you flat out, obviously, every conversation we ever had, this is a peaceful gathering. These are people wanting to have their voices be heard. These are people who want to let other people see that other people care. They want to just exercise their basic rights to gather, um, which is a very basic right in this country still, and that the organizers have put out things that, that have, have uh, uh, I think are right, which is to say, hey, 
if you see somebody trying to, you know, stir up some trouble, stop them, you know, point them out to the authorities right away, stay in our, our you know, within the lanes that we've uh, agreed to, all of that stuff, because nobody's here to cause trouble, right? If trouble is being caused at any point, that's because somebody showed up wanting to cause that trouble. And those could be Antifa guys who, who just like to cause trouble because that's what they're up to, or it could be agents provocateurs, or, or it could be, you know, paid paid actors from you know, certain companies. I don't know, but I, I, Brett, I'll tell you my, I know a lot of people going to this. Um, and, uh, from, from my, my tribe and my side and as well, all the other people who are going to be on stage there. I don't know anybody who's showing up with anything other than peaceful intent no. at this point. So I just want to get yeah, that narrative out there right now because it's actually 100% clear that the intent is, uh, a, an exercise of speech, um, it, fully peaceful and, there's nothing there's nothing past that but you know the reality is we have no idea how many people are showing up right we know what it looked like to the website and the number of people who signed up suggests an absolutely gigantic crowd because most people don't sign up for a free event that you could just go to right so um the sky is the limit mm -hmm. with respect to how many americans might show up to this thing on the other hand we don't know that somebody hasn't decided to mislead the organizers by you know, using bots to sign up with, you know, uh, burner email addresses. And maybe, you know, it's going to be, I don't know, 10,000. But, uh, but nonetheless, we do know the people who are going. I know, I will just tell you, um, it was not even discussed inside of those meetings who had been vaccinated and who wasn't. It was a mixture of people, right? Some of the people organizing are vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Some of them are not. Um, that wasn't the point. The point was these mandates are un-American, draconian, and dangerous, and they are being motivated by something that has nothing to do with protecting the public, and they have to be opposed. And so it was time that Americans join this global uh, resistance to this fervor for mandates, which is obviously about something else, even if we can't say exactly what that something is. Yeah, no, it had nothing. There was I there, there was not a single conversation on any of the planning meetings I was on that right. talked about vaccination status. Nope. I know there are people on there yeah. who are very pro-vaccine, who are anti-mandate. And there are people on there who have not been vaccinated but aren't anti-vax because they're just not these vaccines. Um, right. And 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 I, I put myself in that in that camp. It's just. Uh, yeah. No, it's not about that. But, we're you know, yeah. they're going to try and characterize it as anti-vax because because that that's a. That's a that's a that's a dog whistle for for certain people in this story, right? As soon as you call it, it's like calling somebody a conspiracy theorist. It's just that you just get to paint them with that brush and well, it's gone. really oh, you're one of it's those a people. <laughs> you know? scent that is applied to you to keep others away, right? They're not going to convince you or me, right, or anybody who knows us well. I mean, you know, am I an anti-vaxer? I don't like these vaccines. I don't think they're wise. They're too narrowly focused. There are too many design failures built into them. They're too novel. We know too little. We know that the trials that were done to establish their safety were not high quality. They weren't large enough. They didn't go on long enough. There are problems here that a reasonable person can look at. Does that make me anti-vaccine? Well, let me tell you something. I have given I don't know how many lectures to my students about the glory of the mechanism by which vaccines work. I think it's one of the most beautiful stories I know. I'm extremely pro-vaccine in a general sense. I will tell you that watching pharma do this has made me concerned about adjuvants in a way that I wasn't before. 
right? I worry that there's something about the way we generate mm -hmm. vaccines now that we in the public need to know more about because it's having effects on our immune system that are more general than this basic vaccine mechanism, which I find so beautiful. But there's no way. I mean, you know, this this Michael Gunner, this Australian guy who every so often says the quiet part out loud and we get to hear what the plan really is. You know who I'm talking about? I think he's from northern australia and he mm -hmm. every so often he says something colorful about you know your, your personal vaccination status is irrelevant if you are anti-mandates you are anti-vax you know that guy right yeah so anyway well, that that's guy, the yeah, plan that guy. is that they're going to use that stigma against anybody who has any reservation about any vaccine or any measure that might be used to uh to get people to take it and the point is anybody with any level of intelligence whatsoever, knows that that is not a definition that one could reasonably apply. If anti-vaxxer is a thing, then surely somebody who is pro-vaccine and anti-mandate doesn't warrant it. Somebody who is pro-vaccine in principle, but not pro every single vaccine, doesn't warrant it, right? It's obviously a trick. It's a magic trick. And frankly, it's not a very good one right? It's not compelling. You have to want them to fool you if you're buying that stuff. And if that's you, you know, uh, you have to look yourself in the, in the mirror. Yeah. It, and the whole, the whole, again, the whole mass formation idea is to get you focused down on stuff, right? It's, it's like hypnosis. The idea is to get you so that you're just focusing on this dot at the tip of your nose and you can't even resolve it's a dot. I mean, it's that, it's that hyper-focus, and so we've been hyper-focused for a long time on COVID deaths, right? And then you scratch at that a little bit and you find out, well, was that a death with or of? And, and next thing you know, we're battling over am I an anti-vax or a vax? And again, it's too narrow. The, the point is that if we'd had a, a complete and authentic public health response, we would have said, hey, how are we doing in terms of all-cause mortality? You know, a lot of reasons people check off this mortal coil. How are we doing? And the answer is we're sucking at it, right? 2000 was bad, but 2001 was even worse. So by that objective measure, we can say whatever it is in to total, we're doing worse. And that's the conversation we should be having. So I worry every time it gets pulled back down to, you know, is it about these vaccines? You know, because that's that's not they, they are a component of what should be a very rich tapestry of of things that we would have in our toolkit at at the public health level. But it's always about that. And that's it. And, I, and, you know, we don't even have, Brett, at this point, I can't even point you to a single study that says, let's compare unvaccinated people to vaccinated people, but these people got early treatment too. I don't know what that data looks like. I have strong suspicions. I can infer it from studies that don't, you know, that sort of triangulate on it, but we don't have the actual data. How is that possible to not have yeah. that data? Yeah, I mean, we've in? seen this, this general pattern, which is... Um, I mean, I hate to say it, but you can predict what the public health response to something will be. If it's actually promising, they don't like it, right? And that should not be a pattern. That is not a pattern that suggests error. That is a pattern that suggests some other plan. And it's, uh, it's appalling. And I will just say, you know, if you want to peek into the resistance movement, you know, I, there was this very good piece, I would guess that you saw it, John Campbell put out a couple days ago on his channel about the actual number mm -hmm. of people in Britain, he's British, the actual number of people who died of COVID, right? And it was shocking, yep. right? But here's my point. John Campbell is 
absolutely welcome and on the radar of people like you and me. He's pro-vaccine. He has been very good at analyzing the data around early treatment and ivermectin, and he's been courageous about talking about it. That's what the resistance movement sounds like inside. It's people who don't have the same perspective on what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. But we are coming to agreement on what the tools of measurement are that actually work, right? In the resistance movement, everybody knows that all-cause mortality is an important thing that is rarely conveyed. We know that we want autopsies done because autopsies tell you something we can't find out otherwise, and we know that the level of autopsies has been artificially reduced, and that suggests that there is an obvious desire not to know what kind of harm is being done. So it is a big tent, right? You're going to see that big tent on the stage tomorrow at this march because you have people who have arrived from, you know, as we began this discussion, they've arrived from dozens of different paths to an agreement that something has captured our focus, as you're pointing out, and it has mesmerized us into behaving in a way that is actually harming us. And, you know, waking up from that, it's not going to be fun for a lot of people. But let me tell you, the longer you wait, the less fun it's going to be. Yeah, that's that's the main point here is, look, we got to put a stop to this now. And, and the way mass psychoses or formations are stopped is with brave people standing up saying, no, let's stop. We just let's stop. And so um, speaking of which, we mentioned that, you know, every single time if, if there was something favorable, they didn't like it. Um, that data that John Campbell was talking about where they showed that there was 17,300 people in the whole COVID experience all two years had died of COVID specifically who weren't otherwise you know, burdened with a, a, a comorbidity. That came out because of a Freedom of Information Act request. That data had to be pried out. And that should have been put out there and broadcast by that same organization if they were doing the right thing. Right. But instead, you have to pry it out. And every time somebody says, hey, Chris, what do you think of the CDC report? I'm like, uh, I'm going to dig into it. and It's just going to be crap, you know, um, because I know that they're going to use redefinition, statistical sleight of hand. They're going to ignore stuff, the bad study design. It's just it's just been a it's just been a horror show. I mean, this whole thing on um, natural immunity. Right. The CDC, as recently as just a week ago, when they finally admitted, oh, hey, natural immunity looks kind of cool. They were using this really ridiculously underpowered Kentucky sort of database sort of sleuthing thing where they only had 290 examples to look at. And then they held that out as like, oh, yeah, vaccines are better when we had this extraordinary million plus case count case matched cohort study out of Israel that said the opposite. Yeah. The CDC should have been there saying, oh. Here's why we don't like that study and here's why we love they didn't they just put this crappy study out and everybody sent it to me like what do you think of this I'm like uh just yeah nothing nothing wakes them and that tells you that what they are is somehow a uh, a PR outfit right it's all broadcasting things and you know one thing that has been just uh, shockingly obvious to those of us who have dug into it is the level at which what people are claiming as evidence pointing to the public health narrative and its prescription is based on accounting fraud, right? And, you know, you could look at one instance of it and you could say, well, maybe that's an error, right? Maybe they got the categories wrong 
as an error, but the number of places where they have created a definition for a category and they have shunted people into it in order to amplify certain very predictable messages, right? What's the message? The message is that COVID is very dangerous and it's killing lots of people. What's the message? It's that the vaccines are reducing harm to people, right? What's the message is that those without the vaccine are clogging hospitals. It's like they will just take anything that points in that direction and they will reorganize definitions however they have to do it to to make that appear to be the case. And any analysis that just simply doesn't start with a, um, a presupposition about what landscape we're in sees that that's nonsense. And so you start to tune it out, right? What do you think of this latest CDC report? Well, why are you asking me that? Has the CDC gotten anything right here? I'm not aware of it, right? They've been wrong across the board. So um, at some point you tune that out and you go looking for something that isn't consistently wrong, right? Something that is open to various possibilities. And you'll find that that's a very vibrant discussion. It just, you know, to your earlier point, the interesting stuff is on the fringe. Why? Because it was driven there, right? The natural people who would be at the head of the conversation of figuring out what's going on in COVID and what we do about it, those people have been driven to the edge. They've either been silenced, they've been threatened, and they've chosen to self-censor, or if they haven't been willing to self-censor, they've been driven to the edge. And so you know what? That's where you'll find them. Absolutely. Yeah, it was... um. Very early on, I, I really cottoned on to the whole FLCCC guys, and uh, I was helping them set up early webinars, and then I, I've been on the board for a while, and and I, it's gotten a lot better since, but I remember in the dark old days, maybe, I don't know, six, eight months ago, their Facebook page would get taken down. They were getting YouTube strikes left and right and having you know channels pulled down, and they were saying nothing other than they were highly qualified medical doctors discussing data. That was it. They weren't out there railing against you know what they thought, you know, Pfizer was full of crooks or anything like that. There was no nothing that would rise to libel. They were very careful. And and watching that level of friction and hostility that came at them was astonishing. Never I'd never seen anything like that before. Maybe you had in your battles. Well, but that was I mean, astonishing. It, you know, it's astonishing in a way. I'd never seen it with doctors, and there was something just impossible. Uh to stomach about watching these obviously highly dedicated people who actually save lives for a living. They do it day in and day out, being treated as if they were up to something, right? I mean, it just, it couldn't possibly be more the inverse of what was happening. You had doctors trying to be doctors, trying to sort out a live situation that we've all been told is of utmost importance and being demonized for the effort because their conclusion didn't match the public health authority, which was obviously wrong. Um, and then to watch the tech sector leap to attention and start treating them as if these were somehow, you know, dangerous monsters. It was just such a, a preposterous show of force on the part of whatever the thing is that is arranging the narrative mm. that, you know, either you got it when you saw that or you didn't. And, um, yeah, I'm, yep. I'm glad those dark days are, are, are over, but, um, new dark days are coming. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. So the, it's, we got a little dawn coming. I mean, I do feel that the, the censorship has lightened up a bit now for the March tomorrow. I'll tell you, um, 
there's going to be, there's this March and then, and then there's a, a bunch of people speaking. So they've invested in jumbotrons and a stage and sound and all that stuff. And, uh, uh, unfortunately I won't be here there to speak. That would have been fun, uh, history moment. But, um, there's a bunch of, bunch of the doctors, I think are very familiar names. And then there's going to be uh, vaccine injured people there talking who finally get maybe a, a national platform voice. I can't even imagine how awful it must be to be like the, the mother of, of Maddie DeGary, Stephanie DeGary, and, and know that you were doing the right thing. And then as soon as things went a little wrong, like the system just basically said, we think your daughter's just nuts and no, no support. No, it's just awful. Um, but to hear from, there'll be union people there, firemen, um, uh, just it's, this is, this is where I think we get to see Brett, just how broad this really is. Cause this isn't a bunch of anti-vaxxers. This is Americans who have some questions who feel like they weren't allowed to ask those questions and that felt wrong and they, they don't want to put up with that anymore. So that's what I'm excited to see is, um, you know, that this is the beginning of something I hope, which is us finding our voice again. And yeah. Saying um, if I could pick up on you know, uh, a theme, there's something about watching the gaslighting of the injured, right? If this was an honest effort to control the pandemic and people had been injured because we had a vaccine that worked, it had an unfortunately high price, a certain number of people, you know, rolled the dice and it came up bad for them, we would take care of those people, right? And the point is, you did this so right. that we could be safe and we could go back to life. And the point is, these would be heroes. We would not be gaslighting them. We would be accepting that they were harmed. They would be getting free care for the rest of their lives for the cost that they paid on the rest of our behalf. And to watch them gaslit tells you what kind of monsters we're dealing with. The other thing that does that, for me at least, is the withdrawal of treatments that work early, right? The idea that you're going to simultaneously tell us we have this very dangerous disease as you withdraw therapies in which there is no profit, but that work, that is a level of indifference to human suffering that is almost impossible to imagine. So those two facts, if I need to think about, well, what's really going on here, I can check in with them and I can say, well, at the very least, whether this is people making a decision in a conference room or it's an emergent process, it's a monster, right? It is willing to actually literally harm people with a vaccine and then gaslight them over whether or not they were harmed. It is willing to prevent people from having medications that might protect them, might save their lives. And no process that is capable of those two things can, can be defended. It's not, it's not an accident and, uh, there is no decency to it. At long last, sir. Have you no exactly. decency? <laughs> right. uh, well, is it reformable then? Because this is this is a, a, a topic like, you know, where do we go? And so, you know, um, you're going to be speaking at an event I have coming up at the end of this month, um, which is really about asking that question. What do we what do we do? Like, how do we organize ourselves? What should we do personally, individually? Given all of this, I got to be honest, I don't think it's reformable. I, I don't when, when something is that far gone that it's lost that de all shreds of detectable decency and it's just about the money and the power and, you know, damn the consequences of the human suffering. I don't I don't think you can vote that into a better position. Um, yeah, I, it's just maybe that's defeatist in me, but it's kind of like, you know, if you if you merge two companies and one's got a toxic culture 
you just have to fire that culture. Well, and I've got bad news for you. how you start. Um, I'm certain that you are right. It is beyond reform. I am also certain that it must be reformed, that that's actually the only thing we can do, right? You cannot rebuild mm-hmm. the system. You're going to have to take the edifice and you're going to have to figure out how to make it function in spite of the fact that it is completely riddled with corruption of various kinds. And, you know, in the end of what you said there, maybe you're hinting at the process. But the point is, look, and Heather and I talked about this on our stream yesterday in which we explored sort of how we're feeling about uh, the various positions that people took and what they're now doing as the narrative comes apart. Um, But I don't, I don't need to see Fauci punished. I think he has visited one of the most colossal catastrophes on planet Earth that we have ever seen. And so it's not that I couldn't justify the idea that he needs to be punished, but I don't I don't need him punished. What I do need is for him never to be anywhere near control over anything important ever again, right? He has demonstrated from lab leak through the vaccine catastrophe, he has demonstrated that whatever happens when you give him power is bad for people. Okay? He shouldn't be in power. And we can say that about many other people whose names we don't necessarily know, right? Who have been integral to the response here, which has been so disastrous. Now, we also have learned the names of many people who have integrity and who are willing to stand up to garbage narratives and tell us what we need to know rather than what we want to hear. And so there is an obvious solution. And my sense is you're going to watch everything thrown at the question of how to avoid it, right? Everything will be thrown at the the process of derailing an attempt to simply take people who make sense and put them in the positions where they can do good. Right, that will be avoided at all costs. Huh. Is uh is is this uh, a, a twisting of the apocryphal Churchill quote, which is we can count on them to do the right thing after they've <laughs> well, exhausted the every is, other opportunity? Um, the technology has moved on <laughs> since the moment that he said that, and so now we can count on a. Uh, smoldering fireball to persist after they've exhausted every possibility other than the right one. And so, you know, in some sense, it falls to people like us to point out that the process is coming, to point out that it's happening, and to hopefully Mm -hmm. um, wake people Mm -hmm. to it fast enough that actually we do reform the system, right? Because it's not like, it's not like you couldn't take reasonable people and put them in positions of authority and then here's here's the part, here's the good part. I've given you the very, very dark part, right? The system is beyond reform, and yet that's our only option. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's the bright side. Yeah. I know from long experience that there are three kinds of people in all of these systems, okay? There are people who will pursue their own interests no matter who is harmed, right? They're not very common, but they exist. There are people who will do the right thing no matter how costly it is to them. Also not very common. And then there is a vast middle ground of people who will do what they have to do, but they might prefer to do the right thing, right? We can't spot them because at the moment they are doing the wrong thing. Why? Because they don't have a better choice. And so my hope is that if we actually do 
manage to put decent people with the proper the proper expertise in the roles at the heads of these organizations then the populations of these organizations yeah they have some bad apples in them for sure but what they also have is a lot of decent people who haven't been given a decent choice and that that actually does maybe suggest that reform could work Uh, this is in part why, why I'm, I'm talking with you today um, is because one of the things I've noticed is that uh, this fear that they've, they have been putting out has been very contagious, but I've watched the opposite. I've watched courage be just as contagious. And so it's really important that the people who have that capability to be courageous do so. So I, I'm really a fortunate person because of how the decisions I've made, because of the, the position I put myself in, I, you know, I wasn't, I'm not going to stand here and tell you I'm a super courageous guy because if I was working at a job that I had three kids at a certain position and, you know, I had the golden handcuffs and, you know, or whatever, there, there's a lot of circumstances. I'm not going to be a, a brave guy. I, I just know it. Um, and I was just found myself in a position during this whole period of time where, where I could take some risks. Sure. I could have lost my whole business, but you know, I could figure something else out. But, um, but I was able to really go forward and just and just say what I thought was true, right? And I saw the effect that had, and, and I watched. But watching somebody like Pierre Corey, who's just dripping with integrity, right? Watching what happened when he ripped his mask off in that Senate testimony, and I could just feel the galvanizing effect of that. And I was just like, "Wow, that is really impressive." And boy, they're going to come after this guy, and they did, right? Um, that was my first YouTube strike. Was just replaying that video and remarking as to how great I thought that was. I got bing, got nuked on that one, right? But I, I just for everybody who's listening to this right now, I, like this is the time for us to stand up and and stand together and just stand as courageously as we can. I because I got Brett. This is like this is the biggest moment in history I'm aware of. So many things are going to be decided in the next few years that we either go this way or that way. And one of these ways is kind of dark and the other way might be, might be difficult, but it's a lot less dark. Um, I think both, both paths are kind of, kind of tricky, but I gotta be honest. I, I think that what's been revealed here says that if we allow these people who want to go that way to win, I will regret that every, but we'll all regret that. Yeah. Um, I said a couple of things. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic as, uh, we were sort of all grappling with what it was and what it meant. You know, I was asked, well, when will we go back to normal? And I heard myself say, I knew, I knew I believed it as soon as I heard myself say it, we're never going back to normal. Yeah. And, um, I also remember saying, actually, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened on planet earth. And I still believe this right now you have things that are, bigger in terms of megatonnage, right? You have the use of nuclear weapons, you have world wars, you have things like that. But this is a process, this is a truly global process that has unfolded here. And the irony that it begins with something that is literally uh, microscopic is a big one. The point is you're looking at something that can amplify a microscopic error into a global catastrophe. That tells you where we are and how much danger there is. And so your point about if we go that way, 
we will all regret it inevitably. That is exactly what will happen. We're looking at an amplifier that can take a microscopic error and turn it into a global catastrophe. If you don't get, if you don't rein that in, if you don't figure out what's going to misplay that, then you're done, right? I can't tell you if you're done 10 years from now or 50 years from now, but I can tell you, you can't roll the dice with those processes running loose for very long and have it always come, come up your way. So this is it. And you know, this this is, therefore, this is telling us that our lives, whether we like it or not, our lives are overlapping a moment on which everything hangs. These are interesting times, and we are we are stuck with the responsibility of solving a problem no one has seen before, and we have to get it right. So, you know, let's... Let's recognize that that's the responsibility that history has handed us, and let's uh, let's shoulder it bravely. Oh, indeed. Hey, would Please. you mind? Can I mention this event that I have coming up? Um, so, at Peak Prosperity, for for everybody listening, once a year we hold a virtual event, and um, it's a seminar. And Brett will be a headline speaker there as well. We'll have uh, Royce White. He's an amazing gentleman. Pierre Corey, uh, myself, Marjorie Wildcraft talking about um, uh, how to grow food and things like that. But it's really about how to the, – the, we're billing it. The title this year is um, Surviving the Great Reset. So we, we believe there's a big agenda coming and there are things we can do to get ourselves organized around that. And the biggest thing this year is to, is to get connected. So right now we actually have, even though the event is being held next Saturday and Sunday, which is 29th and 30th, there are already uh, servers open where people who, are, who have signed up for that are chatting and finding each other. Because that's, that's what I'm trying to, to encourage most here this year is that connection. So people can find that if you go to peak, P-E-A-K, 2022.events, peak2022.events. That's a URL. Get to a landing page, see if that interests you. Even though um, events is... That's a URL. Usual suffix. Dot com is a, it gets you someplace. Um, dot org. It turns out events. Dot all events right. is actually a, a thing too. Yes. Um, so all right. And I would just like to uh, revisit the point uh, early in our discussion. There is a lot to be said for pooling our resources and the discovery that our two channels. Uh, have some overlap, but much less than you would imagine in terms of who's paying attention to each of us. And that those who are hearing this discussion mm -hmm. and thinking, wow, that's pretty interesting. It would be a great idea, uh, whichever path you traveled to get to this discussion, if you went and followed the other channel, right? You, Chris Martinson on Twitter, what's your handle? At Chris Martinson. At Chris Martinson. All right. And I am at Brett Weinstein. Mm -hmm. Brett has one T, and then on YouTube, my mm -hmm. channel is Brett Weinstein, your channel. Peak Prosperity, P-E-A-K. Peak, cool. like, you know, mountain. All right. Yep. And Peak, Peak Prosperity is my website, too. So, so yeah, and, and uh, uh, whatever... I would love to see our, our, our two groups come together and then other ones as well, because we, it's, it's really, we got a band together. Um, I, I might be wrong, but I'm not confused. 
Yeah, sure no, this is, uh, you're right. That's exactly <laughs> what should be happening. Um, and let's uh, hope it happens. Um, and well, what do you think? So this is our first experiment in a joint live stream. Um, did we get to Dark Prosperity or did we end up at Peak Horse? Well, I, I think we're we that's good enough. Avoided the horse <laughs> side right. of this. <laughs> so I see uh, three point nine thousand people chatting away on on my side of things. So that's a that's a that's good con considering it's a Saturday and they, people had very little warning that this was upcoming. So so I think that's um, and it just the number grew the whole time we were talking. All right, so well, I'll, fantastic. I'll all those is good signs here. Um, Chris, it's been a real pleasure as always, and um, I hope we uh, we take this prototype and figure out what to do with it, so um, we can uh, make some progress and uh, you know gather the people who need to gather. Absolutely, and and my only regret that we couldn't do this live because um, I just can't wait. Yeah, to meet in, you person, in person, in person is the way live. to go, and uh, you and I both believe that. So we will we will do that as soon as possible. <laughs>